feeling feel pretty creepy. Well, welcome to Creep Club, a podcast for the sick and twisted and the morbidly gifted, where we wade through the blood and viscera of the horror genre and discuss which ones creep and which ones should be put to sleep. And tonight, we're talking about the film X, starring X. Mia Goth's side boob. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I knew I knew there was going to be a comment about that. Side I couldn't boob. wait. It was the first thing I had to get into. You forgot to introduce us, Chan Chan. I I didn't even introduce myself. I went straight for Mia Goth's side boob. So I'm (laughs) Chan Chan. With me is Dan Dan and Tauntaun. And tonight's selection was chosen by Tanya. That's correct. Um, In my ongoing series of weird sex, which now that Chance has made that um, public, I am highly aware of. Choices now. Um, the the movie opens on a horrific, bloody crime scene. We're in some small town, dusty place, and we've got a couple of cops roaming around the the site of the crime and looking very confused and horrified. Um, we're at a secluded old farmhouse, of course. And <clears throat> so we know some, some, something bad happened there. People got murdered. And then we flash back 24 hours and we learn what happened. Um, I'm going to I'm just going to give you a brief like uh, like overview of the characters, I think. So the way we ended up at this secluded farmhouse is that a group of hot young people are it's 1979 And they're like, porn on video? Ever heard of it? We're going to be stars. So they set out to make a high quality art porno. Um, They've got some kid from the college and his girlfriend. He's like, okay, I wasn't like super interested in getting into pornography. I'm a I'm a serious filmmaker, but you can make you can make good pornography and and his girlfriend sort of along for the ride she wants to help out with his endeavors um we're very reluctantly at first and then we have mia goth who is um and and along with britney snow uh bobby lynn and maxine um they i think we're supposed to gather that they're exotic dancers um and they're going to be starring in their first film and uh mia goth's character is in a relationship with the bankroller, the man behind the scenes, the big producer. I call him Cowboy Hat, otherwise known as Wayne. Um, and he's sort of facilitating the, the, the project. Um, he's so fun. <laughs> I love that guy so much. I have a lot to say about him. Uh, we'll get there. But he has arranged for them to rent for one night um, a little, uh, what do they call a boarding house on the property of this, of this farm. Um, and so we see them going to, to 
settle in. And it's clear that he has not been honest about why they are renting the boarding house. And also he did not mention that he would be bringing a bunch of young hot people and a lot of side boob. Um, and so when he arrives in with his gaggle of hot people, um, we meet the old crotchety man that owns the property who is a uh, a bit of a wild card. He first wants to blow him off of his porch with a shotgun because he apparently forgot about the phone call where they arranged <laughs> to rent the boarding house. He's coming in hot, um, but they settle that out. Luckily, Cowboy Hat is very charming. Um, and <clears throat> and we see that, that old man also has an old man wife, um, and she is... That's <laughs> not just just an old woman that's married to him. Old man. Um, <laughs> uh, and she's sort of l- lurking around in the background, being real creepy. We don't know what her deal is right away, but she's paying attention. She is observing what's going on from the shadows. Um, and that's how we ended up at the farmhouse. And before we go any further, I need to know. So this is the first time that both of you had seen this. So I just need to hear, did you like this movie? I really liked it. I had one complaint about it um, was that it was some of the scenes were extremely dark graded, like just. This podcast is over. (laughs) Episode has ended. I'm already out the door. I really liked it. I'm not sure if it was just my TV um, or if it was just like. A style choice. Yeah, style choice. But some of the scenes were real dark. Um, like, I couldn't quite tell. But other than that, I really, really enjoyed it. Wow. Okay. Chance? <laughs> it was... Uh... <laughs> Fuck off. You love it. Um, okay, here's the thing. I need to rewatch it, for starters. Um, Uh-oh. No, no. There's one thing... There was. I had an expectation through the movie that wasn't met. And... That was the only thing that fell short for me. Other than that, it was a callback to um, a lot of things that I love about horror, but in a way that wasn't um, ripping it off and made it feel fresh. So, no, I actually really did like this movie a lot, too. Okay, I would like to learn more about what your expectations were and why they were wrong, but we'll get there. It's towards the end of the movie, so, yeah, we'll... Okay, all right, okay. Well... Um, thank you for your balanced feedback, everybody. I loved it. This oh, movie is incredible. I'm watching it right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, re on upon rewatch, I wondered, like, was I just in the perfect headspace when I first watched this movie that it like blew my goddamn mind? Was it mostly the edible? I don't know <laughs> <clears throat> because. But, but you know, some of the stuff that, like, I was so amazed by the first time around, I've already seen it now, so it's just not going to have the same impact. So, I don't know. I stand by it. I think this movie is great. But, Chance, I think I mentioned this last time when I was going on and on about it. I feel like this movie is for horror movie lovers. Like, it feels like a tribute, almost, to the slasher genre. Um with a lot of like references and and even like meta references to like Psycho. Psycho is mentioned by name in the, in the movie, and there are a lot of um, 
I don't know, little, little tributes. And I love that about it. But okay, so I'm glad to hear that you liked it and we can still be friends. Um, where do we start? What do we, what do we, well, how let, do we want to? Let me first start by, by saying what I liked about it. And that was that it is absolutely a throwback film that is able, it's like what the first season of Stranger Things did, where they didn't give you a cheap nostalgia, but they actually were able to sort of like conjure up and bottle up the texture and feel of that genre and that time and actually present it in a way that took you back to that place. I mean, like it felt like the early or the late 70s, early 80s. You know, it didn't feel like a 2000s movie trying to do it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And the killing was very realistic, which is, I think, as a horror movie fan and who likes the body count, um, there's a lot to say in the positive about the kills in this movie. I think I think. I would love to talk through the kills because essentially the movie is the kills. Like we get right into it's it. It's a slasher movie. There's some yeah, setup. That, that's the exactly. Yeah. Um, we're just taking it from body to body. So <clears throat> that when we first arrive, the old woman who's sort of uh, lurking in the shadows seems to be focused on Mia Goth's character, Maxine. Um, in in a really sort of like creepy voyeuristic way and and maxine is no dumb dumb she notices it and you can tell that she's like very unsettled by it but doesn't say anything um they get busy right away as soon as soon as they're settled and the old man goes into town for whatever they're like all right let's get to filming and maxine's first scene isn't for a while so she just goes out and sort of explores the property and finds this beautiful serene lake or stream or river or something and there's a dock and so she strips off her overalls (laughs) and and dives in and does a little skinny dip and that's when we meet one of the most important characters of the movie and that the alligator the alligator That's a beautiful scene. It's silly. It's a bit of a silly scene, and it kind of sets a tone for like, oh, things are going to get real fucking crazy in this movie. Because she's swimming. It's it's like beautiful. It's like pastoral, and everything's like, you know, the dream. And, uh, and then we see that there's an alligator just mere yards away from her. And <clears throat> she, she decides to leisurely make her way back to the dock and the alligator is tailing her and getting closer and we see this gorgeous shot this aerial mm-hmm. shot um wide aerial shot and the the water is like like green like really rich and green and we see her swimming and we see the alligator coming behind her closing the distance and then uh like truly if that alligator wanted to eat that girl she would be dead immediately because alligators are very fast (laughs) um and there's like a moment where it's like i don't know the the way that it's shot makes it look like the alligator's like inches away from her and she stops at the dock just to take a little breather and then jumps out and jumps up onto the dock and never notices the alligator once and this is why you don't swim 
in any water that isn't paved beneath a, a pool. Pools are the only safe places. That's to good swim. advice. And even then, you never know. So, oh, just, even then. just be careful out there. Well, I want to say two things. Uh, one <laughs> is um, that scene was really tense. And it, yeah. and it emphasizes something that I really loved about this movie, and that's the tension that's built with the shots. And the second mm-hmm. thing about the shots is that there's some really interesting, beautiful shots throughout this movie. Yeah. And the film doesn't overdo it. They don't get, like, carried away. It's not like every other shot is this, like, perfectly framed art piece. But there's enough, like, throughout that you actually notice for a moment, like, wow, they really are taking their time and, and giving mm-hmm. you some beautiful film right here. Like the shot with yeah. the rooster head, that weird transition where it goes from the rooster head to, I can't remember what it transitions to, but just, there's just this like quick moment of like a beautiful framed shot. Yeah. yeah. And you know, there's like a few sections in this, this film where it kind of flickers back and forth between mm-hmm. two like scenes or perspectives. Um, like the the two views, I guess, just flicker for like, you know, 10 seconds or so. And I thought that was really interesting. And I really liked that. I hadn't actually seen that before in a movie. I really liked it. Split screens? They use split screen too? Mm -hmm. They did, yeah. Yeah, it's a feast for the eyes. There you go. Someone should coin that. In so many ways. (laughs) You should write that down. Shut up. (laughs) All right. So, So she puts her overalls back on. And, oh, what I didn't mention is while this is happening, the old woman has followed her out to the dock and is lurking in the t- fucking trees, just watching her swim naked. And um, and Maxine also doesn't notice that. The, the, old, the old woman is gone by the time she gets out of the water. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, she goes back to the cabin, but before she goes inside... She sees the old woman standing outside of the farmhouse, which is, I don't know how far away, like, like a distance where you couldn't just like say, hey, what's up? You'd have to yell. I don't know. I don't know numbers. But the old woman is like waving at her kind of. And that's also a really tense moment where like you can see that Maxine knows that something is very off about that woman, but is fighting that feeling and is like, she's just an old woman, so I'm going to be polite and wave back. But, but yeah, that, that, it's just a very palpable feeling of her, like, sensing danger immediately from that woman, but not letting herself, like, accept it. (laughs) And she, so she, she waves back and the woman, then the woman is clearly like, come over here. (laughs) And Maxine's looking around like, oh, I probably shouldn't. I'm going to do it. (laughs) So the old woman just goes inside and Maxine makes her way to the house and pops her head in the door. And the woman is nowhere to be seen. She's somewhere in the house. So Maxine goes inside and we have a moment, a few moments where Maxine is slowly making her way through the house looking for the woman. But we get to see what's going on inside the house. And it's in disarray. It, it looks like a household that has not been taken care of in a while. We've got like very old dishes in the sink that are probably have rotting food on them. It's it's the household of dysfunction. <laughs> like there's something wrong inside. It's not so severe as like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but there are notes of it of like something's off about this. You place. would you would assume the old lady had like dementia or something. 
Right. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note that this old woman is not just kind of like a a granny kind of old woman. She looks uh, pretty rough. Like a cadaver? Right? Yeah. Yes. Her hair is very messy and very wispy. You can tell that it's mostly out. She, you know... She's she mostly, struggles to move. She struggles to move. It's very yeah, teetery tottery. Her voice, is, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of vibe of her voice, and she yeah, it looks kind of like she's just two seconds away from perishing. Yes. So she's she's um very decrepit and kind of I mean she's kind of scary looking. The um, old man in is is as well, but he's more spry. He yes. just see, he seems more like um, with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, played by Mia Goth also. Yes. I was really surprised to learn that. I had no idea that uh, Not the old Mia man, Goth but. also played. <laughs> right. <laughs> the old woman was also played by Mia Goth. I thought that was... I had no idea until after I looked up the movie. So, <clears throat> um, suddenly, old woman <laughs> pops out of the kitchen with a couple glasses of lemonade and it's the first time we hear her speak, and she just says, Lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so they sit down, uh, and it's uncomfortable and quiet. <clears throat> and Mia got, I keep saying Mia Goth, Maxine uh, downs that lemonade like there's no tomorrow because she doesn't want to be rude, but she's like, the the fastest I can get this fucking lemonade down, the faster I can leave. So she chugs the lemonade and then she's like, well, better be on my way. And the old woman does not want her to leave. She is uh, fascinated by this young woman. And uh, so as they're sort of headed toward the door, that's when the old woman starts to speak up and starts uh, sort of talking longingly about her youth and how beautiful she used to be. And and Maxine reminds her of herself when she was younger. And she talks about the power of beauty and how her husband would do anything for her. And, um, and we see a picture of her as a young person, which looks suspiciously like Maxine. And um, I guess Mia Goth. <laughs> uh, and, and, and she is uh like physically encroaching on Maxine's space a bit like getting too close and Maxine keeps trying to back away from her politely but she keeps closing the gap and um and then she says <laughs> saying to Maxine look at your just look at yourself in the mirror just look at how beautiful look at that face you have a special face and while she's looking in the mirror this old woman reaches a hand out and sort of grazes with one finger Mia Goth's side, like rib cage under her side boob. This is where it starts getting um, hot. <laughs> so, of course, Mia Goth like jumps back and is like, what the fuck? And she books it out of there. Well, just kidding. She doesn't book it out of there. Uh, the old woman then says, this can be our little secret or this this can be our secret, something like that. And and at that time, uh, Maxine is like, what the fuck is happening? And then old man comes home and she knows that old man is uh, more dangerous. He had a shotgun, remember, pointed at her boyfriend. And so she instinctively knows she needs to sneak out of the house and not let him know she was there. Well, he, so he warned like, them. He's like, don't don't disturb my wife. 
That's right, yes. She knew that she was being a problem for the crazy old man with a shotgun. <laughs> so she uh, heads back. And when I say heads back, she creeps out, waits until he's inside, and then fucking bolts. She, like, runs back to the cabin. She's out of breath. She's scared. And then, of course, cowboy hat pops out and we're like, hey, <laughs> and we've got a little bit of a teeny jump scare, but it sort of resets things. That's like a really great uh, uh, tool for them to just like be like, OK, and now we're moving on to the next thing. Um, I think before that, too, I, rem- I think there was uh, a, the scene where the old man comes back into the house and sees that there's two glasses of lemonade on the table. I forgot to so mention clearly. That. Clearly, his wife has had a visitor of some kind, and he's not happy with that. Yes, but they don't, he doesn't say anything, but he seems angry. And so, Maxine is a little bit discombobulated. (laughs) And we also know that she's got a bit of a Coke problem. Maybe not a problem, but she loves Coke. We learned early in the movie. Mia Goth, not the old woman. Not Mia Goth, Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, Maxine. maybe Mia Goth too. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, of course, now she's got to perform. She has to go have sex on camera after that ordeal. Of course, she's gonna do a few lines. Um, and we see her get really intense and t- and give her some like say some like positive affirmations in the mirror, which strike me more as desperate. Which is like. I'm a star. I was born for this. I'm going to be famous. Like that sort of vibe um, to, to prep for her incredible scene, which happens next. I forgot to mention that Kid Cudi. We talked about Kid Cudi before we started recording, but um, I missed a cast member, which is um, Jackson, who is uh, the sometimes boyfriend of Bobby Lynn and is... He's got a dick for TV. Um, I'll say I will say that. <laughs> did, you, did you guys see the outline of his dick in that Hell scene? Yeah, where he, I did. Okay, okay. Because I didn't notice it the first time we watched the movie, and the second time I was like, "How did I not notice that gigantic, <laughs> just dangling in the way he's just, standing with his legs spread?" Anyway. Just swinging to and fro. <laughs> um, did they use a prosthetic? Do you think? I bet oh, they used God, a prosthetic. I hope not. Because when you meet Kid Cudi and have sex with him, you'll be disappointed. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, you know, like, that would be a bummer, I guess. Yeah. Moving fine. right along. This <laughs> is um, so. So then, then we get to see what Maxine's made of, and we see her do her farmer girl scene, and it's incredible. And. One thing that we should mention is that um, Lorraine, played by Jenny Ortega, who's the the filmmaker's girlfriend, she is sort of looking down on the project and feels like it's beneath her boyfriend. And she's even like, this is smut. What are you doing? And he's like, it's it's possible to make a good smut film. And she sees and she's not convinced after watching um Bobby Lynn and Jackson. It's pretty standard 70s pornography. Um, But when she sees Maxine, she's like, oh, I get it now. And everyone, it's like, the way that it's filmed is really really cool, too. Like, um, 
the mood is shifted pretty dramatically and we see her losing herself and she's she's just an incredible performer that's that's all there is to it and everyone is mesmerized um including <laughs> our old pal old lady who is watching through the fucking window of the barn while it's happening and uh we i wonder there's so while at the climax of the scene or just before it i guess um <clears throat> maxine is like on top of jackson and she looks over her shoulder and sees the old woman in the window but she's so coked out that i can't tell if if it fully registers or if she's like like consciously like noticing it it's very ambiguous she kind of blacks out like we see her things get a little hazy right after that and so it we don't know for certain if she was like with it enough to to acknowledge what was actually happening or if she thought maybe it was just like a flashback or you know like she was feeling paranoid because of what happened earlier but it doesn't feel like she like it doesn't come up again she doesn't mention it she doesn't stop i don't know what's your read on that it ties into sort of what i'm just gonna unveil my expectation i thought there was going to be more of a twist about mm. the connection between Pearl and Maxine. So, like, I, I didn't know if it was going to be supernatural, a time loop. I don't know. It, it felt like it was setting up for some sort of big twist to, to reveal some sort of connection, and then that never happened. And it was scenes like that where it seemed like they were, like, crossing into each other's consciousness you know what i mean there's just these where they where they have these weird moments where they sort of like blend together in a weird way you know what i mean yeah i can definitely see what you're saying for some reason <clears throat> i didn't have that problem um i really just was there for the ride um uh, but um <laughs> and uh i really enjoyed just the progression of the film and didn't really have that expectation for whatever reason i just was enjoying I think for me, I was enjoying the ambiguousness of uh, Pearl, the old woman's intents. Like, what was she like super horny or was she like envious? Like, what exactly was the intent? And for me, that was really where like the mystery lied, not necessarily in is there like a bigger connection between these two specific characters? Yeah, and I wasn't. Um... Uh, it wasn't. It didn't prevent me from enjoying the movie as I was watching it. It just was after the fact. I was like, oh, because I had just had the expectation, like, oh, here it comes, and then it didn't happen. But um, well, there was some people did come. I'm pretty. Ah, uh, sure. I get it. Porn. <laughs> <laughs> A good joke is when someone says, ah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge that I got it. Um, and and also uh, the fact that they're both played by Mia Goth, right? And, and yeah. they didn't obscure or hide the fact that the young Pearl looked like Mia. You know what I mean? So there's just this weird. I didn't yeah. catch that actually. I didn't catch it when I was watching it that the young Pearl in her photographs was similar to Mia Goth. Um, I you know I made the connection that Pearl, young Pearl, was like a dancer and. The implication, like you said, Tanya, is that 
Maxine is an exotic dancer. So I kind of made that connection, but you know, it really didn't occur to me at all that there was this connection of the characters kind of like in the development of the series, not necessarily in a story. You know, I watched Pearl, the prequel that came out after X, um, like the following weekend after I first watched X. And I wonder, I, I mean, because now I have all this extra context that I wish I didn't have because I've said this already, but it's not worth watching. I, It's just, it was such a bummer. I wish that it existed on its own. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> so I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And I also wonder if they had some twist like that, if I, if it would lose me at that point. Cause I don't think that's, I don't think it's necessary. Like Danny, like the ride itself, the just going through the kills is, was a good time. Like I normally, when there's, when it's too gory, I end up just missing a lot of the movie because I can't physically make myself watch it. So I'm just like covering my eyes and squealing. And I didn't. I like my eyes were fucking glued to the screen for this movie. So yeah, I, I but I can see what you're saying because it does. I think it does confuse things when they're using the same actress. And even in the young photo of of Pearl, it is Mia Goth. And yeah. I, I I bet a lot of people thought that was there was something. Yeah, and that. it's actually fine that there wasn't a twist. And it's funny because I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, actually, the movie's better off for not having some sort of you know M Night Shyamalan twist. It's it's a straightforward slasher film, and so it's actually fine. Um, it was just weird because it really felt like they're setting it up yeah. with scenes. So I was like, oh, yeah. well, okay, I guess I misread those or. Um, and then, so when it comes to horror and like covering your eyes, um, there's a lot, you know, I can pretty much watch any kind of horror. Um, the only time I covered my eyes in this movie though, was during the, um, geriatric sensuality scenes. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a pleasant way. Uh, nothing is, ho- nothing is, hor- it's very respectful. nothing has horrified me more than those scenes. Um, <laughs> we should talk about what shifts after Maxine's scene, which is um, <clears throat> Lorraine is like very curious about the whole industry and lifestyle. Jenna Ortega. Now, because, yeah, Jenny Orte- Jenna Ortega, yeah. She like really admires Maxine now we can see and Maxine is like creeped out by Lorraine she's like what the fuck is this girl doing here she obviously looks down on us she's just like leering at me and they kind of have a little bit of a confrontation so Maxine is down from her high um but everyone is just like enthralled by her performance and but it starts a, an open conversation with the whole cast they're all sitting around it's nighttime they're getting ready for bed And they start sort of just like waxing philosophical about the difference between sex and love and um, and art and pornography. And and it culminates in Lorraine saying, I want to be in the movie. (laughs) And now suddenly her boyfriend, the filmmaker, has a change of heart about uh, his feelings about it just being a movie 
it's just a movie. And he's like, absolutely fucking not. You're not doing that. And, uh, and he gets real upset and he storms out. And then we have Cowboy Hat, who... This is where I would love to talk about him a little bit more. He he goes after um, RJ is the filmmaker's name. He goes after RJ and he's like, calm the fuck down, man. And RJ's like, you have to talk sense into her. You have to tell her she can't do it. And this is when my feelings about Wayne changed completely because leading up to it, he doesn't do anything necessarily sleazy. He just seems like a sleazy guy. Like he lied about, like he's getting... This film is being done on the cheap and he's doing he's making some shortcuts and we learned that he left his wife for um, Maxine and she's much younger than him and he just seems a little bit sleazy and maybe like someone we don't like or trust. But that the conversation he has with RJ changed everything. He is a feminist hero. I love Wayne. <laughs> he's he was very hot in that scene. He was basically like, um, you can't tell her no, that's not your job. And also there's there's this great moment that caps the conversation um, where Wayne is also very understanding and empathetic and he like knows how to talk to people and he's very charming. And so he is able to calm RJ down a little bit, but RJ makes a shitty comment about how Lorraine, his girlfriend, is different. She's not like the other girls. She's a nice girl. And he was like, okay, so my patience is wearing thin. You're a piece of shit. What the fuck did you just say to me? He didn't say these words. But, um, and and he said, <laughs> he throws in a little one-liner at the end and he goes, and I got a surprise for you. None of them are nice. And I was like, yeah, go, Wayne. Go make your pornography. You're a pioneer. <laughs> Um, and so RJ is, is, uh, I guess, sufficiently for the, for the time being calmed down enough to film the scene that is added to the film of his girlfriend, fucking Jackson. Well, before we, before we move on to that, I, I don't know about you guys. I felt very conflicted during that scene and that, that confrontation between, RJ and the rest of the cast and Lorraine because I felt myself like empathizing with both parties, Lorraine and RJ, L R yeah, RJ. Um, because I was thinking about if it was in my shoes and it was my partner who suddenly had this kind of bombshell drop, like I want to be in a pornography a pornographic film that's happening right now i can understand the like we need to talk about this you know like oh yeah this it's is, an understandable response it's yeah just incorrect totally it's <laughs> it's it's interesting because i really felt torn in that situation on the one hand as a woman you don't want a man especially telling you how to how to live your life and sexuality on the other hand as someone who is a monogamous person that would scare the shit out of me if that if that happened if there was a situation where that happened so i felt like it was a really interesting thought process that was going through my brain and especially when wayne goes out to kind of calm rj down i was wondering in my head you know this man wayne has a vested interest in getting lorraine to perform in this movie because it's another young hot babe that could be a, a 
a part of the film. But like you said, Tanya, he seems to come at it from this legitimate like, hey, man, like you can't tell women what to do. They're going to, you know, I think the, the, the phrases that he used were something like, if you tell her no now, she's still going to do it. It's just it's going to be potentially worse later or it's, you know, it, it's going to cause issues if you say no and she still wants to do it. He's also significantly older than everyone else. Yeah. Like, they're all very young, hot people that are figuring life out. And he has left his family for an exotic dancer. He's seen some things. He has more lived experience. And it seems like his role sort of by default becomes like the mediator in a lot of situations that need to be calmed down or negotiated and so I my I did not read in that conversation or in any any of it that Wayne was trying to take advantage of the situation or saw an opportunity to take advantage of. He seemed very neutral to me. Like he was just there. Whatever happened with that happened. But he needed to make sure this film got finished. And it's in his best interest to calm RJ down. And he's also smart enough to know that it's it's not going to be effective for him to try to convince Lorraine not to be in the film. Um, yeah. But but again, I, I agree. Like, RJ's position is understandable. But he doesn't handle it well, which we find out very yeah. soon. Yeah, that's very fair. And, and, and uniquely, he has to be the one to film his girlfriend fucking someone else. This is um, a... A very in, intense situation for him. It's it's not your run of the mill. Uh, let's be in an open relationship conversation. <laughs> not that those are. I are those run of the mill. I don't know. I've never had one. <laughs> I'd be fucking pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. As, as the uh, you know, speaking for the men on the panel here. Um, listen. I would, yeah, I would be pissed. I wouldn't be happy about it. And then I would uh, find a different girlfriend. Okay, here you go. Break <laughs> yeah, up. exactly. But but that that's understandable. RJ may be like, well, I, that, I feel awful now and I can't date you anymore. And that would be expected, maybe. Um, but you don't abandon everyone on a farm very far away from where you live with no access to transportation. You do if you were just, which is, you do if you were just crying in the shower. Which RJ? No, you still oh, don't. You don't? <laughs> no, oh, I thought you don't. that allowed you. It's not you. even his van. He stole a van. Well, you know, he was upset. <laughs> Poor little guy. <laughs> okay, we know where Chance lies on this. Poor um, little fella. So <laughs> he's a little bitch. So RJ gets through the scene, and we see him crying in the shower, having a complete fucking meltdown, and um. After he's done crying it out, he's now very angry. And he's like, you know what? Fuck this shit. They can find their own way home. I'm out of here. Fuck this movie. Fuck my girlfriend, I guess. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so he, it's late, late. Everyone's in bed. And he goes, grabs the keys, heads to the van. I cannot wait to talk about this. This is where our first kill scene happens. And it is beautiful. It is a beautiful scene. It is gratuitous. It is over the top. And it is so fucking good. It might, for so it might be the reasons. best kill in the movie. It, it is the best. Absolutely. It is like, that's the, that's the moment where I like 
said out loud, like, this movie is fucking amazing. Um, yeah, it doesn't get better than that kill. But but it it's like it's a it's where the movie pivots completely. And we're like, OK, and now we're on the roller coaster. Um, we've had a lot of tension leading up to that point. But let's let's talk about the kill scene. So RJ gets in the van. He's muttering to himself. He's like, fuck these guys. And uh, turns the headlights on. He tries to dri- drive down the driveway. And lo and behold, old lady standing right between the headlights. So he slams on the brakes. And he's assuming that she's confused, left the house, maybe dementia, something like that. And so the van is still running. He gets out. And he, and he approaches her to help her back into the house. And she leans in for a smooch. She's like, hey, while you're here, though, I'm real fucking lonely, man. She doesn't say anything. She she tries to embrace him. And he kind of gives her a polite hug. He's disturbed. But he's like, oh, OK, let's get you back to your house. And um, but she like likes him in that moment. And he does not like like her. And. He <clears throat> is disgusted. He, he like, shows a bit of disgust, just, like, as a knee-jerk reaction, which is not what she needed in that moment. <laughs> he, he did not have her needs in mind when he had that reaction. And, um, and we also have learned little bits. We've got, like, little breadcrumbs leading up to this moment where we know that she's a pretty vain person. She's a woman that, like... Uh, resents the fact that she doesn't have her beauty anymore because her beauty carried her. She talked about um, how beautiful she was and and what that got her. Like, beauty was very important to her and she does not have it anymore. And that just, she just got smacked right in the face with that information. She's like desperate, lonely, horny as fuck. And this young, attractive man is like, oh, I'm sorry, is this a joke? I find you repulsive. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And that's when we make our killer. And so she uh, stabs him in the throat, just jabs it right in there. And already off to a great start. He falls down. There's blood splurting out of his neck. Um, She climbs on top of him pulls the knife out of his neck and blood is just like just shooting like a fountain um onto the headlights onto the the headlights and she okay normally in a movie where there's like a stabbing scene that's that's really uh like we, the perspective is like we're seeing we're seeing the violence. There's lots of ways to do a gratuitous stabbing scene, and they they are making you look at it. You are like POV, <laughs> like you are seeing every single time the blade goes through the skin. There's no cutting away. It's gratuitous. It lasts a very long time, and it's fucking incredible. And it's maybe the only time I can remember watching a movie with a scene that violent and not looking away. And I think part of that is the performance of Mia Goth, the face that she makes that looks like her eyes are almost rolling back in her head and she has this like grimace and she's just like in autopilot. It's hard to explain, but the the facial expression that Mia Goth is able to conjure in that moment makes it so much better because it makes it feel very real. Because, yeah. because there isn't like, like, 
like visual rage or visible rage it's it's like it's like she goes into a fugue state and it's terrifying yeah i remember uh it was so interesting because you know she stabs him in the neck first he goes down she gets on top of him and then it was almost like just a a, a split second of hesitancy and then it's you know stab and then kind of accelerates and it just was really interesting to me kind of seeing almost like that split second time frame of like giving herself permission to do this it felt to me I don't know did any of you feel that like she was kind of just like I got the impression that she was savoring it yeah to me like she was enjoying like she knew she went she had the knife in her hand when she was outside she was Mm -hmm. out there to kill somebody like she already had murder on her mind. She had a knife on her. And to add to the realness of that scene, it's not just the performances, but also the shots and the sound. Mm-hmm. Like, it, oh, in every yeah. traditional horror movie, that scene, you would have the dramatic, um, like, POV shot where you're, like, looking up at the hand with the blade and then a real forceful thrust down into the bu- yeah exactly that's the slasher uh you know aesthetic uh this is what it really looks like with an old lady on top of somebody with whatever strength she has pushing a sharp implement into somebody's neck it just it just looks real you know what i mean it's not over yeah. the top or dramatic and the noise is just what it's what i guess what it would sound like right Yeah. I also need to backtrack just a little bit to mention that something happens that we see um, in the house between the couple, the old married couple, that informs maybe why she's gone into a murderous rage. So she's real fucking horny from peeping on um, Maxine's scene. We also see her before she walks out to the barn she after the lemonade incident we see her like sort of making herself pretty we see her combing the wispy hair (laughs) we see her putting on a little bit of makeup and she gets sort of like gussied up to go peep on them so that happens and then when her husband comes home she tries to initiate sex with him and he rejects her And we get just enough information to know that this is a problem that has been building because he says, you know, you know how I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but we learn that like, they probably haven't had sex in, yeah, yeah, they haven't had sex in decades and she's rejected in a, in a really sort of dismissive and cold way. And, um, and so that, that's like, I think an important character building scene and, and and an important scene for motivation. Yeah, especially in that scene, I remember her kind of initiating it. She kind of like starts into like a striptease kind of situation. It oh. does not progress very far. She gyrates. Yeah, she gyrates. She looks like she's going to try to Geriatric gyrating. Yes. And it's, um, you know, the husband is like, my heart can't take it. It's, you know, it kind of using it as an excuse. He won't even touch her. And meanwhile, you know, when that scene was happening, I was thinking, bro, like you just uh, were ready to shoot, shoot a man. 
Um, so your heart can take the act of uh, potentially killing someone, but you can't take uh, some some nookie. Not sure if that's a nookie. What year is it? Oh my it's god! It's 1964. So okay. Um, yeah, we we. I mean, we just learned enough to know that she <clears throat> is kind of a horn dog and has kind been of. deprived. <laughs> I mean, it's all relative. Uh, but she, she, she hasn't had access to a warm body in a while, um, so to speak. So back to, back to the kill scene. I need, I need to say that I have a lot of feelings about the song. Don't fear the Reaper. I, I think it's one of the greatest songs ever written. Unironically, it's so fucking good. It's such a good song. Lyrics are so good. The fucking, uh, Everything about that song is incredible. I love it. And the use of that song in this kill scene is perfection. That song kind of became a joke thanks to fucking SNL when they did their cowbell shtick. And that was one of the cowbell songs. And so Don't Fear the Reaper became associated with like fucking uh, Christopher Walken on SNL for like uh, two decades. And I think we're finally like we've got enough people that have died off by now that the, the, the association isn't so strong um, because, because that song that did that song dirty, <laughs> it cheapened it. But the way that they use the song when he gets in the van and turns it on, that's the song that's playing. And, um, <clears throat> and so we hear it in different, the sound design again of this kill scene. That's another element of the sound design that I really loved because we're in and out of hearing of perspective of that song. So we hear it through the car radio, but then we also hear it through the surround sound. And then while the kill is happening, I can't remember exactly what's happening, but it's like crescendoing. They're like making a mini music video of that song with this kill scene. And it's incredible. And this kill scene lasts so long that there are basically two music videos buried in it. And the second one is the Chelsea Wolf song that I'm fucking obsessed with now. And I've like built a whole lifestyle around it at this point. <clears throat> um, but anyway, it's it's just a really effective use of that song. And it could be cheap. It could be a little bit cheesy because of the content of the lyrics. Um, <clears throat> but the, it's just done really, really well. It's it's beautiful. But and while the while this stabbing is happening, like Danny mentioned, blood is covering the headlights. So now we've got very eerie ambiance because the headlights are totally covered with blood. So we've got like the effect of like a red gel filter. So everything is like dark now and red. And we're also the camera perspective for some of the scene, some of the scene is from as if it's sitting on the dashboard facing through the wind windshield. So we are seeing her as if we're inside the van. We're seeing her bathed in this red light and it looks like found footage. The way that they shot that makes it look like it's scary. It's It reminds me of the scene at the, I mentioned the scene a lot, I, it scarred me. <laughs> the scene at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre where he's swinging the uh, chainsaw around and just sort of like wailing and, and that, like, if you just describe it, it sounds kind of cheesy, but there's something so eerie about it. And it's like we're seeing it at a distance. It's it's hard to explain, but that scene gives me the same feeling of like, like we popped in a tape. Imagine just popping in a tape and seeing that, seeing that exactly the way it's shot. It's, it's really effective. And then 
And then it shifts, and we shift to the Chelsea Wolf song, which is dark and, like, broody and intense. And she has suddenly completely dissociated. She's covered in blood. She's wearing, like, you know, an old lady white nightgown that's now covered with blood. And she catches herself in the light and has this moment where she's like, I'm a star. (laughs) And does this slow dancing as if, the spotlight is on her um and she's just dancing in the blood-covered headlights and it is so good yet another parallel between pearl and maxine you know what i mean yes and i feel like i feel like the i don't i'm i would be curious to know if they were writing both movies at the same time and like because I could understand if if the prequel came out so soon after X, or maybe at the they same were, t- they were like, shot back to back secretly. So so yeah, so I, it feels like they were signaling for what to expect from the prequel, but the again, I just feel like that was a mistake. The prequel wasn't it, it just there's a sequel in the works. Did you know that about Maxine? It's called Maxine. Okay. I'll watch it. Yeah. I'll probably be disappointed, but I'll watch <laughs> it. Um, <clears throat> but but in the prequel, Pearl's whole origin story, that's that's the prequel. It's just the origin story of Pearl. And, um, and Pearl is like, I don't know. It's like she has a personality disorder that, or... Or she's maybe just a psychopath and she's also placed in some unfortunate circumstances and and becomes a murdering psycho. So we learn what Danny, you said, you liked that it's not explained to us. Like we don't have the whole psychology of the old couple explained to us. We've got bits and pieces and it's, it's like Pearl is the opposite. They're like, and now we're going to explain bit by bit exactly what happened. And it's like the end of Psycho when they're like, and this is why Psycho was Psycho. Um, <clears throat> and so I feel like th- those, were, those were like breadcrumbs that weren't necessary. <laughs> because I wish that the, it could have, they, they can stand on their own, but it was like they were leading us into the prequel by sort of like sh- showing us that dancing scene. It just, once you watch the prequel, you'll be like, that's so Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate that about it. I don't want to know yeah. Pearl. I want to know enough to be scared of Over explaining the right. monster is always the downfall yeah. of a horror yes. franchise. Even with Freddy. Absolutely. I love all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, but you have to start enjoying the movies in a different way as the character becomes more of like, you know, you know everything about them. So, yeah, I agree. So RJ is dead. (laughs) Good riddance. And the old woman is like suddenly revived. She's got a lot of energy and she's on the hunt. So she makes her way to the cabin. Okay. So, Shortly after this happens, um, Lorraine, RJ's girlfriend, wakes up and realizes RJ's not in bed with her, never came to bed, and she's worried about him, naturally, because now that the 
adrenaline has died down. She's like, ooh, I might have fucked up. I might have made him really upset. And and it's sweet. She's like, I don't want him to be upset. If I made him feel bad, I feel bad. Little late for that. But um, so she's like, cowboy hat, Wayne, Wayne. Um, Wayne, you have to help me find him. And he's like, oh my God, I'm so fucking sick of dealing with this. Um, Grow up. (laughs) So inexplicably, fucking Wayne agrees to go searching for RJ with her in his underwear with no shoes on. Doesn't even bother to put on his fucking cowboy boots. It takes two seconds to put on cowboy boots. Or his cowboy hat, for that matter. (laughs) I'm less concerned about the hat. Um, but you're on a fucking farm and it's dark outside and you're going to walk around barefoot. That that choice annoyed the shit out of me. He should have been wearing shoes. It would have been funny to see him in cowboy boots and tidy whities um, So they split up also. Great idea. Um, <clears throat> and so, so Lorraine is walking toward the house And Wayne is going to go look in the barn. And this is where we get our second kill. It's a simple but effective one. I liked Mm -hmm. it. It was cute. You know, (laughs) like it was a little smirk. Like, (laughs) there you go. This one's for the weirdos out there that want to see a pitchfork stab somebody's eyes out through holes (laughs) that are perfectly spaced for a pitchfork. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pitchfork hole. You don't have any of those. I kind of gave that one away. But in the barn, because he has no fucking shoes on, honestly, even if he had cowboy boots on, if he stepped on that same nail, it would go through his fucking boot. That's a, that's like a nine inch nail. So there's a rusty nail just hanging out upside down through a board. And of course, uh, Wayne steps on it and now he's impeded and... And fucking irritated that he's dealing with this shit. And he's convinced that RJ's in the barn. Because he can sense that someone's nearby. He's just wrong about who it is. So he's like, all right, I'm going to level with you. And he starts doing his folksy talk, um, hoping that RJ will spring out. Um, And he sees something moving on the outside of the barn through a little peephole. And he's like, what's out there? Is that you, RJ? And uh, puts his eyeballs right up to it. And that's when we get our second kill. And it is a risky move to have an eyeball pop out of someone's head. And I loved it. I think they did a great job. It was like, it made me laugh. I think it's meant to be a little bit campy. Yeah. Uh, And I loved it. I loved it, especially after such an intense kill scene right before that. I kind of appreciated the goofiness of it. And it would have been boring if it was just a, a stab to the head through the fence. You yeah. know what I mean? And Because it was already really telegraphed because obviously he's bending down to look in holes in a fence. <laughs> yeah. You're a goner. You're not getting out of that one. And so you already know it's going to happen. And uh, I liked the fact that the eyeball came popping. <laughs> yeah. Gave it a little and extra you know, something. <laughs> you know, also, I didn't... The, the fact that it's a pitchfork uh, also is silly because the whole loose backstory of this, the pornographic film they're shooting, is the farmer's daughter. So mm-hmm. there are these two girls 
you know, they're the farmer's daughters. My, that was not a good accent. Was, was, um, are they in New the, Jersey? <laughs> yeah, the farmer's daughters. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're... Father. Yeah, the father's daughters. Keep trying. You're and, almost there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like a pitchfork is something that probably could have been used in, like, one of the scenes. Like, she's shoveling shit in a barn and this guy... You know, it, it just strikes me as ironic and silly that a pitchfork is then used to, like, murder this man who thought of this, like, farmer's daughter porn setup. And we also know that the old woman... We can just call her Pearl. We know that Pearl watched the whole scene. She knows what they're up to. She knows the content of this film. So maybe it was a little bit of an inside joke for her, too. Yeah, <laughs> I like I to believe it. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> she, so, so then we see Wayne fall down and his eyeball pop out of his head. And, um, and then we see Pearl shuffle into, into the barn to clean up her mess, which is, I love this scene so much. It's so silly. But first she gives him another good stab, but it's, it's, she's weak and old. So this, and stabbing with a pitchfork is, it takes a lot of like upward, uh, or upper strength, um, which I don't imagine she has very much of. And so the stab that she gives him in the chest with the pitchfork is real (laughs) half-assed. It's like, did it even go inside? Doesn't matter. And then she decides to cover up the body by very loosely (laughs) and slowly uh, pitchforking some hay on top of him as if that's going to take care of the problem. And I just loved it. It was hilarious. Yeah, just like a couple of just like weak scoops of hay yeah. using the pitchfork. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. <clears throat> um. Anyway, so while this is happening, we cut back and we see what Lorraine's up to. And Lorraine encounters the old man who is out there with his shotgun again. And he he's like what are you doing out here and she's like i'm looking for my boyfriend and he's like i'm looking for my wife have you seen her and we're like "Uh oh (laughs) so uh we're still sort of under the impression that the the old man is like not totally aware of what his wife is up to um but except that she's missing and so he starts to get suspiciously helpful and Uh, or suspiciously kind and is willing to, like, accept her help looking for his wife and her boyfriend. And he lures her back to the house to get some flashlights. He's like, I got two of them in the basement. Or he had one. Let's go get the other one in the basement. Lures her into the basement. Of course, locks her down there. And now we know, okay, there's something uh, bigger happening with this couple. Uh, Total freak shows. And... Then the sense of danger, I feel, gets heightened and also more confusing. Like, there's danger everywhere now. Now we know the old man is in on it in some way. Um, And so Lorraine is now trapped in the basement. Wayne is dead. RJ is dead. She doesn't know that yet. So now she's panicking and she needs to find a way out of the basement. And that's when she finds another unknown body of a man hanging from the rafters in the basement with his pants down and his dingling out. And it looks like, 
I wanted to ask you what you thought was happening with that body, but it looked like his whole dingling area had been beaten. It looked bruised and red. I didn't pick up on that, but then again, it kind of the whole body kind of looked like it had been hanging out there for a second. Um, So I don't know. I didn't pick up on that, but it would potentially make sense. I, um, I couldn't put my finger on it, but there, it seemed like something more gruesome happened to the body beyond just those initial stabbings that we saw. So I, I don't know what it was specifically, but I know what you mean. Well, there, that's not RJ's body. I thought that was RJ's body. No, 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 I no. RJ so is too, but no, no, no. I, RJ is still in yeah. the driveway. This is a completely different Holy body. Holy shit! That's I thought that, uh, through the whole movie, I thought that was RJ. I thought that the first time I watched it, it wasn't yep. until the second watch that I realized because they eventually, she eventually sees RJ lying in the driveway after she gets out of the basement and freaks the fuck out. But didn't they make it? So did they make him look like RJ or is it just something that happened to him? I think I think that that was an assumption our brains made because we saw him die and then But didn't she say that she found her boyfriend in the basement? No. It was a different it was a totally different body. Which adds a layer because now we're like, well, what the fuck is going on around here? Which is also why I noticed this time around the like extra bruising around his genitals and i was like was this a fucking sex doll for her it felt like the body was used for a while after it was hung that's <laughs> that's the impression i got from yeah but i but i also missed that the first watch because as i was making my notes i made the note that she finds her boyfriend in the basement but then later rj's still in the driveway and i was like oh my god yeah. that was a completely different body but they I had the same but they want you yeah. to think it's rj right i don't know if they want you to or if it was just another choice that like didn't didn't read clearly oh, i definitely have to rewatch. you know yeah the thing about that that was a little bit confusing at first for me was Lorraine's reaction to him um this dead body in the basement I I'm making a lot of assumptions here but if it were me finding my spouse's or boyfriend's dead body in a basement I don't think that it would just be a horror thing like a reaction of horror I would probably want I don't know to like to touch his wiener to touch his his battered (laughs) wiener Exactly. I would, want, I would I would love to just uh, observe um, the penis. No, I would <laughs> I would feel like there was some other emotion other than just disgust and horror there, which I didn't see in Lorraine. So that kind of keyed me off to like maybe this is just a random body, which was confirmed later. But I did have that confusion. Uh, with oh, that I, scene. I can't wait to rewatch this because there's definitely that ad- definitely adds a new dimension for yeah. me. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also I would say the prequel makes it clear that she's been up to this kind of thing for her whole life. <laughs> Since she was a very young woman, she's been doing creepy, fucked up shit to people. Um, so, <clears throat> also, I, I just have to give credit where it's due for Jenna Ortega. Her scream in that scene is beautiful. It's It's like an iconic 
horror movie scream. The way her face is contorted, it's really effective, and it does feel vintage. It feels like a vintage slasher yeah, film, the way that someone was the screaming. right, but pitch. also realistic. Yeah, the right pitch. Yes. Yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. The the like tre- the like tremor in in the scream also. Yeah. It, I yeah, it was. I wonder how many times they sh- they did that shot and. I don't know. It was just, it was perfect. And that's why some of, there are different versions of a, of a cover for this movie. And one of them is her sort of like, uh, um, and it, it's, it's the, it's like a still of her doing that scream, but it's sort of like made to look like an illustration. Anyway, it's just great. Um, <clears throat> so now she really wants to get out of the basement. <laughs> And uh, she's looking around for tools and finds an axe and um, is able to actually we're going to take a step away from from her for a moment because we have some other business to attend to. Um, Kid Cuddy Jackson, he is very proud of being a veteran it's like obviously a big part of his identity. It's mentioned multiple times. He's always wearing his dog tags. Um, and he he takes that responsibility very seriously. It's like a big it's 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 a big uh, po- point in his his character development. And when <clears throat> uh, old man makes it to the cabin to ask around to see if they've found his wife, um, Jackson wakes up in the middle of the night. He thinks he hears someone in the cabin and wakes up, but he's also a veteran and seems to have some PTSD a little bit. So it's not uncommon, it seems like. I think the 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 subtext is like, it's not unusual for him to wake up and break out in a sweat and, and be scared. So no one assumes that someone is actually in the house. <laughs> Always assume someone's in the house. Always. Always. Actually, don't say that. I'm going to have nightmares. <laughs> okay, so, um, but he's like, okay, I just need to get out of bed and shake it off. So he get, he gets up, goes to the fridge to get a, drink a juice or whatever. And, um, and that's when he sees the old man outside. So he greets him completely nude, just opens the door wide open and is like, hey, bud. Like, spread eagle, so we see a perfect outline of his dong, which is, like, has to be a prosthetic. It's too long. Like, to have that... Anyway, I wonder if they were, like... Where was the lighting place so that they could make sure that we could see a perfect outline of his penis? Um, And he's... Also, you know, like a young black man and we're like in the rural south um, and this old man has a shotgun and didn't seem super welcoming and also has made some comments about he's not thrilled that the others are there. And um, and Jackson is trying to level with him like, look, I'm a veteran. And he's like appealing to the patriotism of old people. <laughs> I guess just they all have it. Um, and. And it almost seems like it's effective, but we know better. Like, Jackson thinks he's, like, getting on the good side of this guy. Like, you can trust me. I'm actually going to help you. I'm an American hero, sir. I'm going to find your wife. And he's so sweet. And we're like, please don't kill him. He's just so nice. He's just genuinely trying to help you. Let him go. Of course not. 
This is where one of our favorite characters makes a comeback because Jackson goes out in the swamp looking for uh, old man's wife and we start to realize that old man has lured Jackson out there with the intention of harming him and is kind of fucking with him. And uh, I want someone else to describe what happens okay. <laughs> in this kill scene. Okay, so, well, nothing happens in this kill scene, really. I mean, he literally, I, I can't even remember what the conversation is, but he just turns around and shoots him with a shotgun. Yes, and? And he dies? What? What am I missing? Oh no, I'm confusing you with yeah, no, I, I, alligator. Yeah, no, I knew you were confusing. That was later. See, because you expect. We expect it to be I the thought that was the comeback of the alligator because, uh, yeah. again, it's it's setting up for the alligator. But then he just. That's crazy. But then he just gets shot with a shotgun off screen. Like, you don't even really see the. Yeah. See the kill. It's the most mercy we see in the whole movie. But it's fortunate. But it's also part of the horror because it's so, like the silliness of the horror genre, especially slashers, is the tendency to want to like be real creative in the kills and have them mm-hmm. escalate as the movie goes on. So all of a sudden, you got Jason. He's got a a coed in a sleeping bag and he's just beating the sleeping bag against a tree and it's just it's ridiculous and everybody's cheering. This mm-hmm. is just a cold-blooded, mundane shot to the chest. Murder for the sake of murder. Yeah. That's and it. And also we see, like, something's going on with this couple. Clearly. We don't really understand motivations here. We we see that, the, that, that Pearl is unhinged and has been rejected too many times and has snapped. Like, that's, like, generally our feeling about Pearl. But what the fuck is going on with this guy? Is he just mad that they're on her prop on the property and that they're fucking with his wife? And it's, it's confused. They're not working together. No. But right. they're both after the same thing, which is just body he, No, he loves... He's cursed in that he loves the monster. That's how I, that's yes. how I took it. And he's yes. a gatekeeper and he'll have he'll do dirty work if he needs to. Um, yes. but he can't kill his wife, but he's just trying to keep her safe and yes. yeah, contained. Well, we learn we get a little bit of we get another layer of their relationship very soon. Oh, <laughs> a yeah. couple layers. Uh-huh. Um, thick, thick layers. Um, <clears throat> Go slow with this one. So, <laughs> so, so, okay, so back at the house, back at the cabin, we're now left with Maxine and Bobby Lynn. They're the only ones left at the cabin, and they are blissfully unaware of what's happening. Bobby Lynn had gone back to sleep after Jackson got up to to get a drink of water, and so now she's up and she's realizing that Jackson isn't in the house and now she's concerned and she's calling for the others and realizing that like everyone's fucking gone. Um, I have to look at the timeline because it doesn't really matter. We're sort of cutting in and out like all of this stuff is happening around the same time. And so um, but but we need to we need to take a step back, actually, because um, while all these shenanigans are going on with shotguns and stabbings. Jackson was correct. There was someone in the house 
surprise, it's Pearl, of course. Pearl is after her fucking prize, which is Maxine. And so in her blood-soaked dress, which is like the just the the way that you would describe how she looks creeping into her room and into her bed is like straight out of a scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, it's like very simple and effective. Uh, just a blood-soaked nightgown on an old woman is is enough. That's like a perfect ghost story. And so she sneaks into Maxine's room. Um, there's space on the bed now. <laughs> she has taken care of Wayne. Um, <clears throat> so she jumps right into bed. She takes her, well, she strips off her bloody nightgown, um, but her hands are still covered with blood. And so when she's in the bed with Maxine and starts to touch her, we see smears of blood on Maxine's bare skin. And, uh, I wish I could fucking sleep like Maxine. Holy fuck. She (laughs) just is like, sleeps right through it. I guess the cocaine crash is real. So, um... We don't know exactly how long the woman stays in her bed because we're cutting in and out of, of, of different areas of the farm, seeing all of the stuff going on. Um, but it seems like a significant amount of time. And and then we're and then so just just know that that's happening. Um, you're not painting and, you're and not s- painting the picture good enough. The the, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. the degree <laughs> to which and I don't mean to be ageist because I'm probably you know, me and Pearl are probably close in age. So uh, <laughs> you are the elder of the group. Uh, but um there's a level of like sensuality oh, as yeah. Pearl yes. is climbing into bed with Maxi that like I said, it has been a long time since I put my hands up to my face and watched a movie through my fingers. But <laughs> that scene was uh, biologically confusing for me. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> oh, okay. No, it was right. both. Uh, no, it was just very bizarre. And it, this whole. Unsettling. It's unsettling because this whole movie, like the genre it's pulling from has this really weird mix of sexuality and violence and mm-hmm. and, and being really uncomfortable and horrified all at the same time and that moment really just captured all of that and also the psychology behind this choice that she's made to be overtly sexual with Maxine when what we've learned throughout our time so far we learned a uh, very little about Pearl, but what we did learn is that she sees Maxine as a young as herself as a young person. She's seeing herself in Maxine and now she wants to fuck herself because there's a there's like how she can't get her youth back. She can't get her beauty back, but there is a way she can steal it and that's through a violation. And that's that's like what makes it more terrifying than like, oh, okay, so she's queer, cool. <laughs> like, no, that's not. <laughs> no, it's a bit more complicated. She is trying to like get the life force back. And and Maxine is obviously the target because Maxine is the spitting image and reminds her of herself and is also hypersexual 
just like Pearl had been. And no one sees an old person as hypersexual. You got to learn that over time over lemonade, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's it it's such a different vibe than if it were an old man creeping into our bed, you know, or the old woman yeah. creeping into another man's bed. Like there's there's an extra layer of of psychological um, horror. It's it's like she's that. a is it a succubus that's a female version? Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> like she's like this entity that's like you know while you sleep hovers over your body and you know takes from you. You know. You know. In the first kill scene where she goes into that fugue state and she her eyes are like fluttering and rolling back in her head and she's like, <laughs> like oh, that face is haunting me. Um, it's similar to like, I don't know, like a vampire movie when they go into like a like, yeah, when they go into this a similar state where they're like being fueled. And, and it did seem like that fueled her. She was able to muster enough energy to s- start slaughtering everybody and have crazy sex. Yeah. Um, it wasn't crazy sex. It was average sex, it seemed like, but still a feat under the circumstances. But we'll get there. All right. So, so, so yes, it is, it is, um, I would say, like, the, the, the peak of tension in the movie um, and so we have, um, Bobby Lynn, who's like, where the fuck is everybody? And she hears a scream from Maxine's room. And we see this old lady, uh, shuffle on out of there as fast as she can. And we hear Maxine screaming, that woman was in my bed. <laughs> um, and, and Maxine is just very resilient she's a very resilient girl because uh obviously mortified disgusted she immediately takes a shower and i'm like what the fuck are you doing getting naked and invulnerable in a shower but she still is like in denial about the danger that she's Mm -hmm. in even though she has felt it from the second they got there she's the first person and the way she says when she sees something happening when they first get there and Wayne has a shotgun pointed at him her words are something's not right or something's wrong and like she's the only one that is aware that anything is like potentially dangerous and even after this woman is in her bed and she has blood she sees that there's blood on her um she's still like okay I'm just gonna take a shower and shake this off (laughs) you know I mean girl power You know, it's interesting because I think part of the sinisterness of Pearl is that you're not sure in the first part of the movie if she's just senile, you know, if she's just got some mental issues going on because of her age. Uh, And so with Maxine, she wakes up to this old woman in her bed. She has no idea where the blood came from. She has no idea that most of the people in the house are dead already. Uh, So it's like, you know, it's, I guess, plausible to think as a resilient person. She's like, this old lady is just out of her goddamn mind. And she scraped herself traipsing through the field to get here and get in my bed because she's bonkers and she thinks maybe I'm her husband or something. So, you know, you can kind of see how... Uh, she could kind of get there into not being 
uh, terrified for her own safety. Uh, and, and because Pearl is this old woman, I think probably everything logical in her brain is like, she's just an old woman. She can't really hurt you. And we know that's not true because we've seen what's going on outside of Maxine's vision. Uh, but it's interesting to see Maxine just not realize what what the true danger is. I think part yes. I think part of that also is Maxine's temperament and like her perspective of herself. She really has a a feeling that she's that there's destiny on her side for something. She's special. Yeah, that she's special and that there's something bigger and grander uh, in life ready for her. And so people like that sometimes are disconnected from danger because they feel safe in their destiny. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it doesn't explicitly go into that, but I feel like that plays into part of her psychology on how she responds to the dangers. Yeah, we also learn a teeny tiny bit, and I can see it makes sense that they're making a sequel because they put breadcrumbs for that too. We learn just enough to be intrigued about Maxine's life. Like, we don't get anything for most of the movie about her life. We don't know about anyone's lives. We just know where they're at now. Um, and then we, we get that information, like, right, right at the end. But while, right after this happens, there's chaos. But but ultimately, Bobby Lynn's very concerned about Jackson because he's missing. And she's like, I'm fucking sorry that happened to you. I have to go find my boyfriend, my sometimes boyfriend. <laughs> and so she goes out in the night looking for Jackson And while that's happening, we're going to head on back to the house for a moment. And um, Lorraine in the basement is is finally, you know, like the her her fight or flight is kicking in and she finds an axe and she's going to get the fuck out of that basement. So she runs back up the basement stairs to the door, axes a big old chunk out of the door um, reaches around, is able to unlock the door. (sighs) Unfortunately, old man has made it back just in time. And she has dropped the axe after chopping the door. And so now he has it. And he chops her finger off. At least one. Maybe maybe. It was hard to tell exactly what the wound was, but it was extremely visceral and uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, it seemed like it wasn't great, you know? Yes. And this scene felt like an homage to the axe door scene in The, the Shining. Shining. Yep. The way that sh- the way that Lorraine is the way her character is so like fragile and shaking and the scream is very similar to the scream like the f- the way she contorts her face is so similar to Shelley Duvall in The Shining. And it just it just felt like like a little nod, um, not not in an overt way way obviously. I mean, there's an axe through the door, and then the guy shows up, and he doesn't say "Here's Johnny" or anything, but you know. Um, oh fuck, my phone died, so I lost. I don't have my notes anymore. That's okay. We're getting we're getting uh, closer to the end anyway. We're so close. Yeah. So he's like, "Shut the fuck up." I, all I said, I just need you to be in the basement. That's all I ask. Could you just fucking be in the basement? And it's it's like, this guy's, it seems like it's not his first rodeo. And at the same time, like, there's still a hole in the door. She could still just open the door when you walk away, sir. But he did chop off her fingers. So she did get a little bit 
um, upset. Shy. <laughs> yeah, like that. That was a bit of a setback. So um, Maxine is going to find Wayne, I guess, or anyone. She's um, making her way to the house because she hears screaming. She hears Maxine screaming. Or, I mean, Lorraine. Um, <clears throat> and so she goes in the house, which just leave Lorraine, bitch. Get the fuck out. I was like, why did you why did you go in the house? Why did you do it? But anyway, she's she still doesn't know of the horrors that have happened, I guess. So she goes in to rescue uh, Lorraine, and we find out that Lorraine is fucking pissed at her. <laughs> Lorraine's like, you turned me into a bad person. You convinced me to be a, a porn star. If it weren't for you, none of this would have happened. Thanks a lot. And so they're not going to stick together. Lorraine's like, fuck off. I'm out of here. And, um is also being extremely loud. And Maxine is smart enough to know, let's not alert them that we're in their fucking house, you dumb bitch. So she's like, keep your voice down. And Lorraine's like, fuck you. I saw a dead body. Um, and so th- then this beautiful scene happens. Oh my gosh. Okay, no, wait. Yeah, before that, there's Bobby Lynn. Let's, okay, let's take a pause. Let's take a pause. This is not the order of the but, movie. But the way these things overlap, it's hard to... Yeah. Yeah. Which is part of the coolness of the editing of the movie, but... Yeah. Right. So, so let's take a pause and go back, because at the cabin, um, Maxine has... has uh, so before Maxine has left the cabin, she's she's still there. She had taken a shower, and um, Bobby Lynn has gone to find her boyfriend, and <clears throat> Bobby Lynn runs into Pearl, who skittered out of the house after being caught in Maxine's bed, and they have a, a hilarious confrontation. It's very bitchy. It's like a scene out of RuPaul's Drag Race on the dock <laughs> at the lake. And um, where basically they're just like calling each other bitch and slapping each other. <laughs> and it's interesting because Pearl identifies intensely with Maxine. And Maxine is in the exact same position as Bobby Lynn. They're doing the same job. You know, like, they're in the same film. They're there for the same reasons. But for some reason, which I guess all we can know is that Pearl just doesn't like blondes. <laughs> so she's she's really disparaging toward Bobby Lynn and is obviously, like, sort of slut-shaming her, which is confusing because, again, Bobby Lynn is in the same boat as Maxine. They're, like, you know, same same deal. But uh, Pearl gets fucking fed up with Bobby Lynn, shoves her in the lake, and then <laughs> and then our favorite character returns. And boy, had and I'm I, sorry that I butchered that but earlier. But boy, had I been waiting for this character's return. Yeah, it <laughs> Mr. was Mr. Al. Uh, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> you want to try that again, Danny? Uh, just Mr. Al I Alligator, I hardly know her. <laughs> he uh he comes in for a little snacky snack and just uh chops her head off. Just yeah. chops her head <laughs> just, off. Just like... Um just does its little alligator thing where they do the little death flippy roll. flips and death roll 
And uh, and uh, so at this point, Bobby Lynn is not no longer with us. I laughed out loud when it happened. It was a great time. I was like, this is a fucking romp. I love this movie. Um, which I, again, appreciate because the first kill is so intense and so graphic and deeply unsettling. Like, that one wasn't fun to watch, except that I was, like, thrilled by the filmmaking. But it was dark. It was, it was like icky and the alligator chomping someone's head off is such a nice (laughs) way to just like keep the ball rolling without alienating yeah that's the campy death like the silly deaths that you get in a slasher movie and that yeah she calls her a bitch slaps her shoves her leg that her head yeah the whole scene is absurd (laughs) hilarious and then everybody cheers when the alligator takes the head (laughs) off you know what i mean yeah that's the moment in the theater where everyone is cheering yes absolutely um, and so Pearl, having taken care of of, of uh, Bobby Lynn, is making her way back to the cabin because Maxine is MIA now. <clears throat> and husband and wife are reunited in more ways than one. It's beautiful. So they meet up. And this is where we get a little bit more information about their relationship and his involvement in all of this. And he makes a comment... Uh, he, he, he think he asks where Bobby Lynn is. Oh, no, no, no. He sees it happen. He meets up at the dock with them and he sees the alligator chomp Bobby Lynn. And he said, is that the one? And she said, you know, I don't like blondes. And I was like, oh, hot. Okay. So, uh, so now we know that they've been having discussions <laughs> about this group of people and we know who the one is it's maxine well and but howard the old man howard he he tells pearl i believe in this scene i got one for you in the basement and then pearl pearl knowing I that it's lorraine that one. yeah pearl is like no that's not the right one you idiot so it's very clear that she has a target in mind and at it's this point now nice. we, it's nice we know. to know that he does care actually he wants he's try he's doing his best. I want to give you what you want. I, I mean I, I want somebody to give me a Jenna Ortega. That would be that'd be great. <laughs> That's creepy and you should take that back. No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't even have a basement so, to keep her in, so Oh my god. <laughs> oh give me a brace. No. God. So they make their way back to the cabin because they gotta find the one, the special one, the star power, X-Factor one. Get it? X. We talk a lot about X-Factor. She's got the X-Factor. All right. So um, they get back to the cabin and, and, and it's a little bit of a couple's therapy session for these two. They're really coming together and they're really communicating and really laying it all out there and being vulnerable with each other, which always leads to boinking. It's just true. So uh, this is where we kind of find out that this is a thing. Like, this is a recurring thing. Whatever it is, this has been a thing. This didn't happen suddenly when these pornographers showed up. Um, and and that's when he says something like, I want, you know, I want to give you what you want. <laughs> and, uh, and then they boink. They boink on Maxine's bed. And we still don't know where she is quite yet. And that's when we find out that she had been hiding under the bed. So she's she's 
right Hearing. under those springs and they're barely clearing her head as 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 they're bouncing up and down and while they are distracted she army crawls out of the room which i feel like they're hiding under the bed has happened in every movie that's ever existed <laughs> and the way that people escape it sort of cuts ahead. Like, we don't actually see it. It's always like, oh, and they're under the bed, which did happen in this one. We don't see her crawl under the bed. It's a surprise. But then it's also like, oh, they made it out. We weren't sure if they were going to make it out. But we don't see how. So watching her inch by inch crawl was so stressful because we are forced to see in real time that there's this gigantic window of opportunity for them to see her and it's over. But that's the power of lovemaking. They don't notice at all. She's... Uh, she clears out of the room, she books it to the house, and now we're back to Lorraine in the basement. That was a lot. Okay. Chance, do you have anything to add about that scene? Um. You mentioned it was your favorite scene before It was. I, as Pearl gazed passionately into Howard's single tooth that was barely <laughs> hanging in his head. I wonder if she licked it while they were doing it. Okay. <laughs> I, <love you. laughs> um, I need so to. I do have to say, though, that I have a thing for kind of fucked up teeth. Not like one one tooth fucked up, but like but like David Bowie has fucked up teeth. And and I have thought about I have thought about licking them. <laughs> okay. All right. I I like I think uh, not perfect teeth are cute. Yeah, yeah, me too. I love it. Like uh like uh Kirsten Dunst, her yeah. teeth are a little bit fucked up. Fucking yeah, love it. It's adorable. <laughs> and we say this as people with uh perfectly straight teeth. <laughs> mine are moving. One of mine is trying to push the other one. You know, it's trying to push its way to center stage um, because I don't wear my retainer from after I had braces. So, get it pulled out. <laughs> Just my front two. Perfect. Just you'll have all that. the room in the world yeah. at that point. Yeah, <laughs> can be a star. Anyways, yeah, um... <laughs> sorry, I threw us off with the tooth licking comment. I apologize. You sure um, did. No, nothing more to add. Uh, It's just one of another uh, very uncomfortable, gruesome scene in this movie. And I loved it. Yes. So, uh, Lorraine, idiot, is like, fuck you, I'm out of here. And goes running out the front door and this is just a beautiful this is a beautiful kill scene because it's really simple and also a little bit campy um i don't know enough about like gun violence to say if this is realistic or not but she's a slight frame jenna ortega is a small petite person so maybe she gets literally blown away by a shotgun we see the perspective of um maxine sort of down the hallway. So we're seeing what happens down a hallway and then outside. So we see we see Lorraine go outside and then out of n- fucking nowhere, she gets shot by a shotgun and we see her body like fly forward through the air. And it's incredible. It's it's great. I loved it. 
And so Maxine is inside the house and she's like, well, fuck. So now she's got to hide again. And at this point, she's the last person standing. The final girl, as they say. And we overhear the couple talking about logistics of like disposing of bodies and the way they're talking about it makes it very clear that this is not the first time this has happened. And also we see when um, Jackson is out looking for Pearl, he notices there's like a VW bug that's halfway submerged in the lake and he pauses and note like that's odd. Um, so maybe that's the guy that's in the basement. Yeah. But also we learn in the prequel that she's been doing this a long time. So it could have been someone from a decade earlier. So. You know, it's kind of weird uh, that because like Jenna Ortega's character would be the candidate for the final girl. Right, because she's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the innocent, sweet kind of waif, mm-hmm. and uh, Maxine obviously would have been one of the girls to go first. So I kind of like the idea that the final girl is not the stereotypical final girl. Like she, it doesn't Same. have all the tropes of the final girl. I agree. Yep. So the couple comes inside. I'm a little bit hazy on the details of what happened so, at this point. So they come inside and they're kind of like dragging Lorraine's body in. And Lorraine's body kind of like, bleh, like twitches, does something kind of dead body ish. Right. So they don't see Maxine yet. They don't know that she's in the house yet. No. And so Lorraine's body twitches, which um, causes. I bet you Howard. feel bad about doubting his heart problem now. Okay? Yes, now we feel bad about doubting his heart problems because Howard, old man, has a heart attack, and um, uh, he's 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 done. He's dead. He's yep. done. His heart really couldn't take the sex. He was hanging yeah. by a thread. <laughs> Pearl, you selfish bitch. So. Uh, Pearl is devastated and, um, and that's when Maxine reappears and she found a handgun and she's pointing it at Pearl and Pearl's feelings toward Maxine have changed at this point because now Maxine has taken her one and only companion, the only person that was willing to put up with her immense bullshit. Bullshit is an understatement for Pearl. And they get into a really intense screaming match basically of uh pearl saying a lot of disparaging things about maxine obviously projecting a bit um and and maxine bless her resilient heart uh shoots pearl well tries to shoot pearl yeah there's no bullets the gun doesn't fire Oh. There's no bullets in the gun, so she does not shoot Pearl. But Pearl, but uh, Pearl's got a. Oh my God! See, I don't. This is why I'm like fucking useless uh, so, so, without. So knowing. let me. So let me. I'll go ahead and finish. Because this is so much better than what I just said. That didn't. Happen. So what happens is <laughs> Pearl's like, "All right, motherfucker," and then she like raises her gat and then goes to blow away Pearl, and then it doesn't fire because there's no bullets. And then Pearl pulls up the shotgun and takes a shot at Maxine, yes. but Maxine dodges out of the way somehow. Um, but the kick from the shotgun sends Pearl flying out the door and off the just yeah yeah her. totally yeah. just flies <laughs> off the porch and breaks her hip. 
And so yes. that's where um, now Maxine has yes. got the upper hand. And on the television in the house, in the background throughout all of this, is a, a teeny tiny television and it's on um, some televangelist is is talking about Jesus. Preaching away. Preaching away. And we hear Pearl, I mean Maxine, without skipping a beat, recite a line from the sermon in real time, like in tandem with the guy on television. And we're like, I'm sorry, what? And it's something that she had said earlier in her affirmations in the mirror after doing lines of Coke. She said, I will not accept a life I do not deserve. And, uh, and so he says that at the same time as her. And we're like, um, sorry, what the fuck is happening? And it's a nice touch. And even without any explanation, without any further examination of that moment, that's perfect. I loved it. I love little weird things like that that don't need to be explained, but they're going to explain the fucking shit out of that in the sequel. So she leaves the house, has this like uncanny calm, um, takes, she never finds the keys to the van. So she takes the, uh, the old man's truck, gets in it and, um, as she's leaving, Pearl is just screaming at her, just like spewing hatred at her. And Maxine just fucking splits her head open. She just drives right over her head, backs <laughs> up. Switches into right reverse. Because Pearl's down. Yeah. She's She's got a broken hip, so she's like sprawled yes. out on the ground, basically behind the truck. And uh, Maxine kind of just looks in the rearview mirror and says, I'm going to handle this bitch. And boy, yes. does she. And Maxine is uh out of there after smashing her head a couple times um she heads on down the road in the old truck with no idea we get the impression that she's not going to a police station she's kind of moving on with her life she's like well this chapter is over and i am moving on and nothing can slow her down it doesn't feel like an escape scene um it feels i mean it feels like an escape scene obviously but not like a fleeing she's like like, it's a cool guy move. She's just, like, casually leaving. And obviously, she's probably dissociating. But she also, you know, does a line of coke in the car <laughs> and um, and goes about her merry way. And that's that's the end of the explanation of what happened at the farmhouse. Um, we flash back forward to uh, the crime scene with the, the sheriff and another cop on on site and trying to make sense of the crime scene which makes sense to us now we know why it's so confusing to them now because if you weren't there how the fuck would you explain all of those bodies in all of the different ways that they were killed you've also got some other random body that's been there a lot longer in the basement there's a lot to take in and they ended on kind of a like little wink and a nod which i loved um because one of the guys goes, well, Sheriff, what do you think happened? And he's like, how the fuck would I know what happened? Look at this place. This is crazy. And uh, just after that, another cop shows up and he says, look what I found. Lo and behold, it is the camera from the filming that they had been doing. He said, what do you think's on this thing? And the ending line of this film is the sheriff saying, 
<laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I had it written down in my notes. <laughs> One goddamn fucked up horror picture. Yes, that's right. Yeah. One goddamn fucked up horror picture. But before that, the TV in in Pearl and Howard's house is still on, and the same televangelist guy is is talking. And in that, it is revealed that he's um, you know talking about how how. Th- spirituality is missing from us and there's there's sexual deviancy and stuff and and then um he unveils this photograph that's been like sitting on his pulpit or whatever and it's clearly uh maxi and he says they've taken my they've taken my baby girl you know like they've taken my sweet baby maxine (laughs) and it's it's become clear that maxine is the daughter of this televangelist that's been playing in the background of you know the little grocery store that they stopped at before filming it's been playing in pearl's house uh so it's very interesting little connection there and that's what the sequel is going to be about and i think i already hate it I'm going to give it a chance because I'm curious what they're going to do with the style because the prequel was so stylized. It was like, it almost sucked the life out of it. It felt like, it's hard to explain, but it was, it was an explainer. It was an explainer video. (laughs) Like it just, it, it had some interesting moments and some interesting kills, but it was extremely slow and it was only serving to fill in blanks that didn't need to be filled and not not only didn't need to be filled, but shouldn't have because Pearl was a mm. much more menacing, scary, compelling character without having her whole life explained to us. Yeah. Because also we're living in the horror of the moment. And in the moment, those people don't know why she's acting like that. That's what makes it so scary is that, you know, what seems like just a, a creepy old lady who's like a little bit off, like... Th- yeah, anyway, I, I worry that the sequel is going to take that little nugget that they dropped um, and explain. I don't know if it's going to be like from here forward or if they're going to go back and explain her childhood, which I have a feeling they're going to do. Um, and she's probably going to turn into a murderer. That That's what I see. I see a um, transformation from Maxine into Pearl and with a lot of flashbacks to her crazy yeah. religious upbringing. That's yeah. what I see the movie being. But the nice thing about this movie is that you could ditch the prequel and the sequel. And as a standalone movie, yeah. it's a perfect yeah. just under two hour throwback slasher movie that for the most part in almost all ways gets it right. So, yep. Well, I kind of want to go back just for a moment, just to yeah. just to say that um, Maxine running over Pearl's head is also another great. It's hard to explain. It's like the pitchfork through the yeah. fence. It's it's that kill, but they add a little extra something to it that makes it yes. more interesting than just a quick gore shot. You know what I mean? And yes, agreed. And the sound design on that yeah, one. Yeah, the sound, too. the texture of the whole thing. I mean, it's weird to say, but there really is like this art form to the way that they, they like shot these these kills and, and the way they shot the mm-hmm. gore. Like an exploding watermelon. But even better. That's why I say it's a movie for like, like it's, it's like a little gift for horror movie lovers mm-hmm. because they, they like give us a platter of kills that aren't unique like none of the things that happen in this movie none of the kills that happen none of the violence in this movie is necessarily unique 
um, but yeah, they they're it's done so artfully that it's like we got this for you. Do you like it? And I'm like, yes, I do. I do like it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it's just what I always. None wanted. of the elements are <laughs> unique. Everything from the opening scene uh-huh. of the of the after of uh, you know starting with the uh, you know what happened and the sheriff trying to put it all together to the crazy religious people. Like, there's nothing. It's so weird because there's nothing new, but it looks back fondly and elevates it through its rehashing. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And that's so hard to yeah. do. I can't think of another movie. Movies try it all the time, and they fall flat mm-hmm. almost every single time. Uh-huh. You know, in some ways, it reminded me of Cabin in the Woods. And I say that because there's also a deep love for the cliches and tropes in horror in Cabin of the Woods. The, I mean, a huge difference being that Cabin in the Woods is a, a comedy horror, whereas I would absolutely not call this a comedy horror, even though there are a few moments that are kind of silly. Uh, but I see that just like reverence for the medium and uh, and love for the genre yeah. that's shared. They include a toned down <clears throat> meta in this movie. As as yeah. to where Cabin in the Woods, it's just the meta is just turned up you know, right. all the way. But yeah, yeah, great pick, Tanya. Uh, you've been wanting to, us mm-hmm. to watch this, or at least mute uh, for a long time. So yeah, you were one of the first people I text. You're the first person I texted about it after I watched it. Like you have to watch this movie. It's also a movie where um, I'm actually eagerly looking forward to getting a second viewing. Which mm-hmm. is rare for newer movies that I watch. Usually I'll watch it, I'll even enjoy it, but I'm not necessarily like, oh, I gotta get back and see that again. But mm-hmm. um, this is one where I think you can un- unpack it and enjoy it on another level second time around. Well, yeah, I mean, there were there were like huge plot points that all of us missed the first yeah. time around. And I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just like, I don't know, they didn't. They just, it didn't read the way that they expected it to. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was happy to watch it again. Well, you're in a state of confusion because there's an element of mystery running through the whole thing. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard to put things together because you're just in this constant state of like looking for clues. And so it's, you're always, you're not quite tuned in for the movie because you're not quite sure where you're at or what's happening exactly. Right. So, let's rate this motherfucker out of five f- overall. What do you What do you give it? I will give it a four point seven five. Mm, I steal that answer. I like. Yeah, it. that was my thought too. Actually, and it might even go up just a little bit on a second viewing. But I'd say my first time out, mm. it, it definitely ranks high. Yep, that was my thought. It feels like it deserves more than a four and a half because I couldn't shut up about it. Like, immediately after I watched it, I was like, I need to talk about this movie with people and no one else has seen it. And, like, that deserve, that deserves a high score if it's if it's a movie that I won't shut up about. Like, there's something really good about it. All right. Well, I would say... If you if you like slasher films, you're going to like this movie. Specifically, if you are a fan of 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this is just like it's the it's the most direct line I can draw. I I, ma- I made this yeah. comparison while I was watching the movie, but I saw it reiterated online. It it's Boogie Nights meets Texas Chainsaw oh, yep. Massacre is essentially yep. with a little psycho thrown in for good measure. So that's a yep, that's a perfect <laughs> description. Starring Mia Goth's side boob. 